Fill this room with that. Come on. Oh, I will see. Before we open the pages of Scripture, I wanna, I wanna give us all thirty seconds, a minute. Scooby and the team are gonna play here, and I wanna invite you to put words to God's goodness, just kind of in the stillness of your heart. Just take a moment and just. We sang collectively of his goodness and now speak specifically uh, of his goodness for a moment and then we'll get into his word, okay? You've walked somehow that felt like an invitation to breathe a bit and live in awe a bit. And though you created all of this, I get to call you Father. And to me, and the way that you've made me, that means everything. And because of you, I get to look in this room and see people that I know now as my sisters and my brothers. for how your goodness is known in this room. We pray that you would be celebrated as we open your word. So we give you this time. Lord, give me your words alone. Open the ears of our hearts so that we might even hear what I'm not saying, but more importantly, what you're saying. So we give you this time. So in, uh, we're in the series Through the Storm, and each series as a pastor is a little bit different. Uh, like we went through Ten Commandments this summer, and that was kind of, 
I know a few of you guys were flinching before we went into it. That was a bit theological. That's that's studying. That's like this. The church needs to know this. Then we did it into the movies, which was the most stretching thing I've ever done. Like I've never preached about Spider-Man before. Um, that was just for me and my wiring. That that was completely other. But then we came to this through the storm thing. And through the storm is very for me very pastoral, but it's very like where my life has been. And. Um, where my life has been with you guys. It's pretty much since this church started, I feel like my default mode has been personally to have my family in a storm and feels mostly like we have been in a storm together. And so as I've thought about this, um, I was like, okay, Lord, what do you have for us as we finish up this series? Uh, I have this little... You guys know I have five kids. They, when they're all home, they're very loud. They're lovely, but they're loud. And their favorite game is fight and throw stuff and make dad nervous. And so they play that all the time. And uh, I don't have a space, and I'm very, like, turfy, right? I don't have, like, a space where they can't come and throw things and make dad nervous. Um, so this... This last spring, we cleaned up our back porch, and they have half of it for all their scooters and all their everythings, and the other half is, like, for me. And I've got a couple chairs there and a little table, and I've sat with some of you out there, but that is my space where, like, I sit and pray for this church. And that's my space where I sit and pray for my family. That's my space where I sit in and read and seek God, and that's my space where I go and, and cry out and be all ugly and... Um, there's usually coffee or tea, and that's my spot, right? And so heading into this series, I was sitting in my spot a lot and thinking about storms and thinking about what I know of your lives and honestly sitting there grateful for a lot of you who have been just essential for me to navigate the storms of my life and how God brought you at a time where I needed community and you were that. And so I'm sitting there grateful and sitting, thinking about the storms and thinking about how God has led me through storms. And, and I happen to be reading this book by uh, Miroslav Volf is his name. It's a great name. His, his real name is probably like George Johnson, but he went by that because it sounds cooler. But Miroslav, that's actually his real name, unfortunately. But he, he uh, in his book, he said... Uh, it wasn't even the point of the book, but I, I couldn't get past it. He said in the Gospels, in the four accounts of Jesus that we have, Jesus never gives meaning to illness. He never gives meaning to it. He just heals it. And that might seem real simple to you. This rocked me for like a week. So there's this verse in Romans that we all know real well. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And as I internalize that verse and try to make it make sense in my life, part of how I see God making good in our life is making sense of what we're going through. And most of y'all know my family's faced some illness, physically, mental illness, dealing with past trauma, all of this. And as we're going through that and going towards healing, I have always felt like if I just understand why, if I understand the meaning, if I 
I've dug into these kind of things. And then Mr. Wolf writes, Jesus never really gave meaning to illness. It doesn't mean he can't give meaning. He's just saying in the gospel accounts that we have, he never said, well, you have this for this reason, or this person had this, the, the boy who was born blind, which if you pay attention to what we name people in scripture, it's really horrible. Like the, the young blind man is what we call him. Jesus says, well, he, he was blind not because of his sin, not because of his parents' sin, but for this moment so God can be glorified. That's the closest to giving meaning to this illness is that he had it to be healed. And this might seem like a really random spot to start, but it, as I sat on my back porch thinking about this, I didn't feel like shameful correctedness from God. I didn't feel like he was like, Matt, you're dumb. Matt, you're wrong. Matt, you're bad. But I did feel like, Matt, you're trying too hard. You're trying to make everything make sense and trying to trying to find meaning in all of these things, and you don't have to. God has been faithful, and he's been good, and sometimes given meaning to situations. But the reason I say all of this is I have sat in storms longer than I had to because I wanted to know why I was there. He's brought healing, and then I wander back in because I'm like, I don't know what this means. I don't know why I was there, and he provides me a way out. And like, but, but I still don't know why I was there, and I want it to end in a way that I can make sense of it and file it away in a processed part of my brain, and it just doesn't happen like that. So then I was like, okay, Lord, if you don't, if you don't necessarily bring meaning to everything, can, and I don't have to wait on that, I can just be relieved of this storm. You can just bring freedom. What, what do you have for us as we finish up? the series. And so if you're okay with it, we're going to look at, well, I have the mic, so you can leave, but I mean, we're going to do this anyway. We're going to look at three different times that, that God encountered some people and what God did in that encounter. They're going to be in different points of a storm. Um, but I just trust that at least in my life, this has been meaningful. And I think for us where we are, it will be as well. I don't think I'm the only one who tries to find meaning in absolutely everything. The beauty is that there is meaning, but it's, it's God's faithfulness is what everything means, is what everything comes to. So we're going to start in 1 Kings, okay? So go ahead and turn there. If you have a device or a Bible, of course, it's on the screens. Here's some background, and I'll be honest. I'm not comfortable with the background. Sometimes the Bible makes me nervous. Some of the things that happen just seem contrary to, to God. And and so here we are in, in 1 Kings 18. We're not going to read this, but I'm going to give you the real quick rundown. A bunch of prophets in Israel start worshiping a different God. And here we have Elijah and these prophets of Baal face off. And they, they face off to see who can bring rain. And Elijah is kind of taunting them. He's kind of making fun of their God. He even has them pour a bunch of water on his sacrifice and to, to show that, like, his God is so faithful and the fire comes down, burns his sacrifice. He sees a cloud coming and, and says that the drought is going to end and rain is going to come. And then King Ahab tells his wife, Jezebel, you might know that name. He tells Jezebel all that's happened. And Jezebel says this line that would be scary to anybody. He says, so may the gods do to me and more also 
if I do not make your life like the ones of those of them by this time tomorrow. She says, if I don't kill you by tomorrow, may God do it to me. And so she's got an army. She's got all the money. She's got the FBI and the CIA and the everything that they had. And she's like, if I don't get you by tomorrow, then may God get me. And Elijah pulls a mat and runs. It's the only time I would run fast is if Jezebel's after me. And he runs, and he runs with his buddy. But then even his buddy, he leaves behind. It says in uh, verse 3 that he fled to Beersheba, the Judah's with him, and then he left his servant there. And we're going to pick up in verse 4. So Elijah's worn out. This big event happened. He feels totally alone, like he's the only one who's following God, who, who knows the one God, and yet the, the most powerful people alive are after him. The storm is very much about enemies seeking after him. I've never had enemies like this. But, I mean, I got beat up quite a bit in grade school. I don't know if you caught on to that. They felt like enemies. They, like, jump on my head. They played WWF with this and just, there are moments like that. He, he's got real enemies. He's got real exhaustion. He's got real fear. And in the midst of that, it says that Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. Is enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Okay, so he's exhausted. He's telling God that I should just die. And at the same time, like last chapter, he was telling everyone his God was so big he would fight them all. And then now he's got one queen who's after him, and he's terrified, running away, and wants to die. And, and the all-powerful God, how does the all-powerful God meet Elijah here? Suddenly, an angel touched Elijah and said to him, get up and eat. And he looked, and there at, the he at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. So Elijah's worn out, no food, no water battling this other God, battling and fighting, and death is everything, and God sends an angel who gently nudges him and says, hey, here's, here's some fresh-made bread and some water. to eat and drink some? And somehow Elijah falls back asleep. I don't sleep that well when I'm nervous, but somehow he's able to. And the angel wakes him again gently and says, okay, eat and drink again. You've got a journey ahead of you. This all-powerful God meets Elijah with compassion and real practical daily needs. Here's some water. Here's some bread. Here's some rest. Be ready for this road ahead. So then for, for 40 days, Elijah walks alone to the place where he's going to meet God. He just walks, and somehow that supernatural like loaf of bread he had Sustained him. But he shows up pretty tired. He shows up pretty hungry, pretty thirsty. He had been alone. 
this whole 40 days. He'd felt alone before that. He felt like the enemies were high on his tail. That's the type of storm this is. You ever feel like that? Where the only people you have are enemies? And you just feel massively alone? Well, this is how God met Elijah in that space. Verse 11. He says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I love this, and I invite you this week, read through, read what happens next. Elijah has conversation with, with God. God sends Elisha, somebody, to walk next to Elijah at this point so he's no longer alone. It's this beautiful way of meeting Elijah where he's at and meeting his practical, very real spiritual needs. And he does it by God saying, I'm going to pass you by. And then there's this mighty wind that's so powerful that it splits mountains. And if you're like me, I pay attention to wind like that. I just had a giant tree taken down in my front yard it took like all day, and they blocked the street and the sidewalk and all this kind of stuff. Massive. They broke my steps with the stump, too, which is not very cool. But that's beside the point. Every time there was a baby wind, I paid attention because I thought this tree was going to land on my car. I kept parking my van right in front of the tree because I wanted it to land on my car. <laughs> Didn't happen. But this one's like not knocking over dead trees. This one's like splitting rocks. Splitting mountains. Elijah probably paid attention. and If he's like me, he pays attention on earthquakes. And sure, there's going to be meaning in that. There's going to be meaning in these giant fires. And, and yet where God was, was in this silence. And if I'm honest about the storms that I've been in, the winds and the earthquakes and the fires don't scare me as much as silence does. You like that? When I'm in chaos, I can handle chaos. I've already got like the adrenaline flowing. If I already feel like I'm in a storm, then just bring it. But silence, stillness, actually being aware that God's there, that is exactly what I want and exactly what I'm afraid of. And that's how God meets Elijah. He meets him exactly with what he needs and then answers that ache for community. Reminds him, you're not the only prophet. There's, there's prophets hidden all in the caves who haven't bowed to that other God. You're not alone in this. The story isn't finished yet. So if you've spent a lot of time in scripture, this idea of passing by will probably sounds familiar because we have Moses who Moses is the one who led God's people out of, out of Egypt, right? On the, the banks of the sea, the, the people are, they're, they're crying out. 
They're like, Lord, you should have let me die in, in Egypt because these chariots are going to run me over. And, and we talked a couple weeks ago about how David did that. that sometimes that's just what we see. We've just got to be honest about what's in there. And the Israelites were great at it. Hey, this is what's in here. I'm terrified. Chariots and pharaohs are coming running after me, and I feel like a fool against the sea. And then God parts the sea. And they walk across the sea, and the very next chapter is just song. It's just song after song of people singing of God's faithfulness and how God had delivered them. But for the next few chapters that follow, you see that God gives manna, which is like food out of nothing. He sends quail when they want protein. He brings water out of rocks, all of this kind of stuff. But the people, the people have their minds stuck on what their slavery was, what they were enslaved to. They have their mind, if I can use this language, they have their mind on the storm that they were in. And when we focus on the storm, we go right back into it. I don't know if you've ever known, you, you ever walk with somebody you're, and you look over here and then all of a sudden you start bumping into them because you go where you're looking? Nikki and I were in New York City a couple weeks ago and we'd walk next to each other and see something cool and we kept crashing into each other. But it's New York, so you, everything is cool. So you've just got like sore shoulders from bumping into people constantly, like, oh, that's awesome. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. And they are focused on this storm. And we read through Scripture how they're just headed back into it. They're headed back into the very place that they were. And so God gives the Ten Commandments. And as we studied them this summer, these are not these restrictive rules that we were once taught they were. They were, hey, here's how to live as free people. Here's how to live into freedom. And he gives the commandments. And Moses goes down the mountain all excited. He's got the Ten Commandments. And they're down there with a golden calf. They made a God. They took all their earrings and everything, and they made a God. And actually, old rabbinic teaching says that this, this calf started to dance. That it was filled with a spirit and the calf just started to dance. And I think it was an awkward dance like I would do, you know? And it just started to, like, dance. And they were like, that's our God. And this awkward dancing calf. But here's what's scary. They said, and these are the gods who got us out of Egypt. They took their earrings, melted it down, made something awkward. And said, that's the God who got us out. And they're headed right back in, right? Headed out of storm, headed right back in. Moses is crushed because he had just seen, heard from God, gotten these laws. And, and so he throws down the tablets. They break. He goes back up. And God's like, I'm good. I'll send you all on, but I'm staying here. And Moses says, we're nothing without you. We're not going without your presence because you are what makes us distinct. And God hears that, meets him in that. And then here in chapter 33, Moses makes another request, which is, I don't know, a little gutsy. He says, show me your glory, I pray. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But... You cannot see my face, and no one shall see me and live. 
And the Lord continued, see, there is a place for me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of a rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall, not, you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses says, show me your glory. And God's like, okay, I'll show you what you can handle. You can kind of handle my backside. That's about it. And so he puts him in this little cleft, and God uses God's hand, however all of this works, right? And covers him because he loves Moses. Not because he's mean, but he wants Moses to live. And so he covers Moses and walks by, and like at the last possible second, pulls his hand. Moses looks, and he sees the glory off of where God had been. And we might think, well, that's a ripoff. No, that glory was so much that Moses' face would glow. They had to put a veil on him because everyone was annoyed. Like, okay, turn the light bulb off. Oh, no, it's just Moses. I can't sleep with all that. So he would wear a veil because the glory of God was on his face because he saw where God had been. Pretty big, huh? And so his people... His people are focused on the storm that they were in slavery and they are headed back. And Moses, well, God chooses to pass by Moses and he sets him in the cleft, covers his eyes. He sees where Moses, where God had been. And Moses is focused on the way that God had delivered him. And so the next storm that comes, what's he looking for? He's looking for deliverance because that's what he knows. I really believe for Moses, the storm was a storm. Not that he didn't feel it, not that he didn't ache because of it, not that he didn't hurt. But a storm is a storm. Deliverance was his focus. And so this glory remained on Moses' face. And God, in his goodness, gave new tablets, replaced what was lost. What was broken and continued to lead his people. So finally, let's look at where we began this series. Pastor Jamel did a great job talking about this time that the disciples were in the boat. And they were going across for a better version of it all. But listen to it, it's online three weeks ago. All we need to know for today is the disciples were doing all that they could to follow what Jesus gave them to do. They're being obedient. Hey, cross the sea. So they crossed the sea, and they're good at crossing the sea. And the storm picked up and made this really short trek be all night. And some of you know this from life. I know this one a little bit from life. And they're doing their best to obey God, and they're doing what they even know how to do, but they're exhausted, and it's taking forever, and the sea is against them, and Jesus is on a mountain praying for them. And he's on the mountain praying. And we know that Jesus has all the power, right? And the disciples, I think, kind of knew at the time. I think they kind of knew. And he's praying, and if I am in that boat, or to be more honest, when I am in that boat, I think the good God would just stop the storm. If you're looking at me and you're praying for me, just stop the storm. This is really easy, Jesus. Super easy. 
stop the storm. Better yet, put a big old motor on the back of this thing and let's, let's be done. Just like teleport me to the other side. That is a good God in my mind. That is the God that I have often looked for. You get me to the other side and then give me like a tweet that explains why I had to be in that storm in the first place. That'd be nice. You do that and then I can come to church and I can be like, hey, I was in this storm and it was because of this. Praise God. I think that is a good God because I don't understand goodness. But I think a good God notices that I'm tired and wants to relieve that fatigue. And I think a good God knows that I am afraid and doesn't want me to live afraid. And I think a good God knows that I am prone to be anxious and wants me to not have to feel anxious. So like bubble wraps me and lets me go through life. But my God doesn't do that. And my God defines good. And so how does this good God meet these disciples who are doing everything in their power to be obedient, to be faithful, to be who he's called them to be? How does this good God meet them? Jesus does this. When Jesus saw that they were straining at the oars against adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning. So all night they struggled, right? This is where I just become a punk. All night they struggled. And in the morning, you're like, oh, it's probably time now. It doesn't calm the waves, doesn't stop the storm, doesn't teleport them. He walks casually, real cool-like on the water. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out. Now, at this time, there were legends around seas like this that people who drowned in the seas at night would walk on water. So maybe that's why they thought he was a ghost. And I wonder if it's something different. We know of when Jesus was on that Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where they saw Jesus as he was. Where they saw Jesus talking with Elijah up there. And they saw his glory and wanted to put tents up there. I wonder if the most real shot they ever had to see Jesus before he was crucified and rose again was right here where Jesus saw his disciples struggling. He saw them pushing the boat. He saw them worn out, and he waited till morning so that they could see him because it's hard to see at night. And Jesus walked not with a veil over himself, but Jesus walked as Jesus is. And the reason that I say this is it says he intended to pass them by. Oftentimes when we are in storms, we think that God is being mean. God, you could do so much more. God, you could just fix this, especially if I don't need to know the meaning of this illness. I've thought this time and again with that little girl in the second row. If it's not about teaching me the meaning of it, then just heal her. Just heal her, please. I don't want to watch her struggle. I don't want to watch this pain. I think of my son. I don't want to watch that pain. I want the best life, and I want it for them now because you're good, and I know that you're good. And it sits in this tension. I, I sit in this tension on that back porch just aching. God, you can bring an end to this storm, and it sounds mean that you just want to pass me by. But if we are sitting in Scripture, pass them by means something radically different than what it means in our language. 
If I see you on 4th Street and I just pass you by, I just disrespected you. Because that's us and our culture. But God, the greatest gift that God could give you today is pass you by. Because what does that mean? That means that he intends to give you the bread and the water and the rest that you need so that you can experience who God is. And on the mountain, he can meet you in silence. Or he can tuck you into a cleft, put his hand upon you, walk past you, can see where he has been, and the glory of him is known within you. What does pass you by mean? It means that he sees you as you're struggling. And in his goodness, knowing that he can cure that struggle at a, just by his word, instead he decides... Not only am I going to fix this struggle, but I'm going to allow my daughter to see me as I am. I'm going to allow my son to see me for who I am. I recognize that faith, and I'm going to reveal me. And so Jesus, in the early of morning, as everyone's exhausted and tired, walks out to them, intending to pass them by. That is not intending to be disrespectful to them and to shun them, but that is intending to reveal who he is, he intends to pass them by, but when they see him walking on the sea, they see he's a ghost. They think he's a ghost, and they cry out. Why? Because it is God's glory that they see on Jesus. It's God's glory that they see. They don't recognize it. It's not every day that that happens. They see him, and they're terrified, but immediately he speaks to them. and says, take heart. It is I. It is I in English doesn't mean a whole ton. He's not speaking English. Here he says, I am. He says, take heart. I am. It's a declaration. I am God. It's me. You know me. Don't be afraid. And as soon as he makes this declaration with his words of who he is, as soon as he makes this revelation of himself that they see the glory of God passing them by, then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Did the storm make sense? Probably not. But they'll never forget when God passed them by. The waves and why they had to paddle till that length of mourning, ah, honestly, I think for them, it probably didn't even matter. I think it didn't even count anymore. So for us, what does this mean? I know that we are a church who loves God's justice, and we want to be about his justice, right? And because of that, we walk into storm after storm. We love God's generosity and kindness towards us, and we want to reflect that towards others. And because of that, we end up in storm after storm after storm. We could avoid those. But we're like, no, those are worthwhile spaces to go, right? Is this just me, or are we kind of all there? Yeah. Well, here's a quote from that book I was referring to earlier. He said, it's not the memory of past suffering but the memory of God's deliverance from past suffering that underwrites the command to be just and to be generous. Here's what that means in like Matt speak. We don't have to stay in storms to be just or to be generous. 
And we don't have to just constantly be reminded of past suffering that we have been in in order to stay in a position where we seek the justice of our sisters and our brothers around us, or we seek to live generous. Instead, our invitation is to constantly remember that God has been faithful to deliver us from the suffering that we've had, from the storms that we've had, and be mouthpieces who tell the story of God's deliverance to remind those who are in storms themselves, who are suffering themselves, this does not last, but my God does. This doesn't have the final word, but he does. And then when we find ourselves not in the middle of a storm, we don't have to go find another one. But we just sit remembering that he is good and faithful. You see, when we remember the storm alone, we place ourselves in the next storm. That's what happens. That becomes our default. I only know the storms. I only know suffering. And so I... I leave a situation where I was being oppressed or abused only to find myself in another situation because that's my default. That's all that I know. But when we remember deliverance from the storm, we watch for it again. When we remember that the day we launched this church, we then were in the hospital because Anna had a seizure and we were there for a week but this church was my church and we left and God healed her at least giving her reprieve from that and then a year later we're there thinking that it was the end and y'all were our church and it wasn't the end and God delivered her and he's delivered me he's delivered you and that that's what God does And so we can just remember as we approach another storm, maybe this, not not that we have to approach it with like any form of fakeness. Be honest. Let God know where you are. But at the same time, you can know that maybe just maybe God intends to pass you by again. And maybe just maybe he'll deliver you like he has in the past. And I can't give you a timeline. I can't give you any of those things. But I can tell you that God is good and you are seen. And for me, this last month on the back porch, though it's been wrestling, that's been enough. And in that spot, I know that every storm he has brought my family through, though I can't tell you the meaning of them, every storm has been used for good. Not necessarily because I now know a bunch of stuff, but I do know that my God has been my God. And his people have become my people. For that, I'm forever changed. So in this room, there are some of you who are going through storms. You need somebody to talk to, pray with. I know some of you are going through storms because, well, you told me. Some of you told us with words. Some of you told us with your eyes. There are places here to process that. There's small group. Our small group on Wednesday night is pretty much like just storm fighting together. That's pretty much all it is. I know some of the other small groups are too. But I don't want you to leave today without hearing somebody audibly enter that space with you and audibly enter a spot saying, God, would you please meet my brother my sister in this spot? And so we got some friends who are going to come up front and pray and be in the back to pray. And if you're in a storm 
and you've been faithful for a long time, but your arms are getting tired, or you're in the spot like Elijah that you feel alone and like it's just enemies, or you're in a spot like Moses and you feel like, man, my people just don't get me, or any other reason, I wanna invite you to come forward and pray. Don't leave today without that. But there's also some of us who do storms without God. And frankly, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you make it through life without knowing that God is good and on your side. But I do know that you don't have to do that anymore. God may not answer every question that you have, but I do know that hope and joy that we sing about, the peace that we sing about, they're real. They're not just lyrics in a song. They're meant for you and for me to know now. And so there's some people in the room. Uh, Joshua will be in the back. We'll have somebody come up, up here as well. Miss Angel, would you come up here for us? Um, there's some people. These people would love to pray with you. And they don't have like some magic formula that it's their words and their words alone. But, but God hears our prayer and he hears our cry. So I want to invite everybody in the house to, let's all stand. We're going to sing this last song together. But I want to pray over us before we do that, okay? God, you're good. And I look out in this room and feel kind of teary-eyed because I know the stories of faithfulness of so many people here. But it's not just their faithfulness. I know your faithfulness within them. I know you've brought peace when it didn't make sense. You brought healing when doctors said there couldn't be. You've brought finances or other kinds of practical support where people were desperate for it. That you're present and you're here. And I pray for my sister in this room who, who doesn't yet know you. pray that you would touch her heart at this moment. That you would pass her by. I pray for my brother who's struggling to just hang on. I pray that you would bring comfort in a way that doesn't make sense. And that even you would do that before you end the storm. And I pray that when storms end, we will let them go hold on to your deliverance alone. God, you're good. We celebrate that in your name. Amen. As we begin to sing, if you'd like prayer, again, we've got Jamel, Joshua, Angel. Uh, we'd love to pray with you, okay? So feel free to come forward or back uh, as we sing.